0: What would you like to have a conversation about? I'd like to have a conversation about Ex Machina. Hello, I am Professor Robert E.G. Black, and this is Minutia Ex Machina. With me today is Parker Johnston from Dick Tracy Minute.
1: Welcome. Great to be here.
0: Good. Now, what's your experience with this movie? Like, I know this is the one you were eager to talk about. Did you see it when it first came out?
1: Yeah, uh, when, when this movie first came out, I was already a pretty big Alex Garland fan. So it was just kind of a new Alex Garland movie on the radar. And my childhood best friend had just moved back to Toronto for the first time since high school. So we were just like constantly getting together, watching every new sci-fi movie and catching up on here's that stuff. So I guess either when it hit Netflix or on demand, like we rented it immediately and we didn't really have clear expectations for it. It was just like oh great, a new prestige looking sci-fi film. The trailer is more actiony than the film really is, but, but we're not like, you know, the typical, oh, that was gonna have action, and they lied to us, and it was it was just this fireside chat thing. We really liked it the first time.
0: So. Well, yeah, they show Ava running down the hall in the trailer, Exa- of course. Exactly. It's the only action moment of the movie. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> when well, she stabs him is less action than that.
1: Yeah, that one and, and Caleb screaming as well. Mm-hmm. And the only yeah. screaming that goes on the whole one.
0: Because this is not a energetic film, per se. I mean, I like it. I like this, that it's so much just conversations and trying to find the different angles these people have for each other. Yeah. It's good sci-fi.
1: It's the thing is as well, like I should say the, that that's just the, how I saw it story. The thing is like, it became one of those you watch over and over again. Yeah, I think I've cited it before in various places online is like, it's probably the movie that I saw for the first time above the age of 25 that I've rewatched the most. You know, when you're a kid, you watch everything a hundred times. Yeah, everything
0: times. gets rewatched. Yeah,
1: exactly. Very few films. I think this and a couple other older ones, Fargo and Glengarry Glen Ross, like nice. those are the only ones I've, I've rewatched like over 10 or even 20 times above that age. Uh, a far a far cry from you watching Grand Day hundreds yeah. of times in adulthood. Although that was one that
0: when I first saw it, I was still pretty young. So
2: yes,
1: it
0: was yes. a fixture from not childhood. I was a teenager. This one, yeah, it's much later for me, and I've watched it a bunch of times. I've watched it from our blog six times.
1: <laughs> that's that's a, an interesting point as well. Like, I think one of the reasons why I always end up coming back to it is because like there's so much to discuss and obsess over in it in, in terms of some of the mysteries. And a lot of the times, I'll just start watching clips from it, mm-hmm. and then I realize like, okay, I'm just I've, I've watched like forty percent of the film just in clips again. Now, now I'm just going to watch the <laughs> whole thing again for for cohesion and. And it's been one, I guess, like to, to really get into it, like at different times so at one point, so right now I'm, I'm a program, I'm a web development graduate and I'm trying to get a full-time career as a web developer. I didn't know how to program at all when I first saw this. So that element to it came into play for me later. And, uh, I went to university of Toronto for a while and I was the programming program they had there was in a building called the my hall center. And it's very, very much the same aesthetic as the Juvet Hotel, the same poured concrete walls with the divots in them and steel and glass. Mm. And the two instructors of that program physically resembled Caleb and Nathan so vividly <laughs> that it became like this running thing. One of them was this tall, pale redhead, and the other one was a very pursuit-bearded, stocky guy. Both great guys, both similar personalities to Caleb, no Nathan's among them. But the the film started going around the class just because everyone was like, yeah, let's watch this programming movie while we'll we study programming. And uh it just sort of became a running thing to them. And that was a good excuse to watch it again another two
3: or three times just during that school year.
0: Sorry, I had to mute my mic to type for a second because I realized in my notes this does relate because you're saying how people look like these two actors. <laughs> in my notes half the time for this minute, I called Caleb Tim. Which is his character in about time. Oh, of course. And I'm like, wait, who's Tim? And it took me a second to realize what I'd done.
1: Yeah, Donald Gleason can be something of a chameleon actor, but uh this and Yeah,
0: well, an Oscar Isaac too. Yeah,
1: the biggest one. He's gotta be the the big example of that, I think, for a lot of people.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I saw this, I had seen A couple other things with him in it, but didn't realize it was the same person. Yeah. I think it was probably not until he was in Star Wars where I realized, oh, that's that guy that was in this, this, and this, and put it together.
1: Yes. See, with him, I would have seen this just before Force Awakens, a few months before Force Awakens came out. Yeah. So it was was cool to see the two of them together again in Force Awakens. I definitely did not Mm -hmm. make that connection until months later, though, because they're so different. Yeah. I think for, for Donald Gleason going into this, I just knew him as Bill Weasley yeah. from the Harry Potter films, Oscar Isaac from Drive. At the time, I was a Drive fanatic, like many- uh, Yeah,
0: I love <laughs> Drive, but completely just didn't put it together. That was the same guy.
1: Exactly. He's, he's just a, a regular supporting guy in that. And then, yeah, I found out he was King John and the Russell Crowe Robin Hood as well, which got much younger, much more Timothy Chalamet-esque in that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah it, it's movie is for such a small cast as really great people
1: yeah no absolutely yeah that's um it's improved for me i think at least one or two of your previous guests i've heard say this like it's it's gotten better for me every time it's gone from like let's say like a four star movie to gradually the full five stars mm. there's there's little things it's one of the best examples of a movie where for me where problems i had with it on the first few viewings, like even over five viewings became assets. Like it's, the, it's not <sighs> a bug, it's a feature thing. Yeah. the the main one for me that always bugged me was was how fragmentary it feels. Mm. a lot of scenes obviously end really abruptly in really strange places. A lot of Ava's conversations with Caleb cut off in like after a few minutes and it's like well what was the rest of, of that
0: right and they seem like they're complete too exactly. not like we left in the middle of it
1: yeah so it's like what what are we not seeing? why is why is Garland so hasty and impatient to to move the story? Along. And at first, like that, that bothered me for years. Um, hmm. Eventually, though, I've grown to really like that side of it because to me, like my sort of top down view of the film now is like this is a fragmentary record of how the singularity happened. This is like if you were living, if ah. you were an AI living thousands of years in the future, and this point in time, the early 21st century is like the way we look at biblical times now, finding this. Fairly cohesive two-hour reel of events would be like striking up. It would be the greatest historical find ever, and just seeing these mundane conversations. And you don't get to see everything, but this is as good as it gets. And there's cryptic details missing. We'll never know the whole story, Mm. but we're watching history that will be very significant later when it was just... Guys hanging around talking and eating sushi and stuff.
0: And that makes each one of the conversations both matter more Mm -hmm. in the larger picture, but also seem like they don't mean anything as you're going along. Exactly. And so it's these very mundane stuff. And then at some point you realize something bigger is happening and then it's too late. Similar to what Nathan is doing. Mm -hmm. He thinks he's in control of this whole situation until the moment where he is not.
1: Exactly. That's kind of like what I've always... My view of Nathan has always been he knows that the AI will eventually kill him or at least escape. He knows that when he gets it right, it'll be the one before he expected to get it right. Yeah. But he still just can't believe it till it happens. Like that's, that's always sort of been my read of him. He wants this to happen. He knows it's going to happen. He still is, feels like, I'll believe it when I see it. And then it actually happens. And he he just can't believe it.
0: And in a way, I mean, in the larger view of history, he still gets the same result. Mm. His name will go down in history as the person who made this thing. Exactly. Even though he died in the process, Mm. it might even be
1: better for him. Yeah. As far as legacy goes. I totally agree. Speaking of Nathan's name, actually, a small note that I'm not sure if it's come up Unless it's come up in the last couple of minutes that aren't out yet. I'd say for listeners, I'm a huge fan of this show. I've been listening to it religiously. Mm. Like Caleb, I feel pretty through the looking glass right now recording it. And uh, yeah. I've just kind of got to remember to actually talk and not just listen to the show. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, the note. So in the script, we know it's Nathan Bateman is the full name. Yeah. In the trailer, it's Nathan Garrett.
0: Really quick while I'm editing, I looked up the trailers to double-check this one. I can't find a trailer where anyone says Nathan Garrick, but apparently promotional materials did have that name, and Oscar Isaac, in at least one interview, identified his character by that name. Back to Parker.
1: The helicopter pilot says, we've been flying over, Mister." The the line about the president can't get him on the phone is... So you hear, this is what was filmed and recorded. And he is the president can't get Mr. Garrick on the phone. Such a weird thing that's never come up anywhere else. It's always been Bateman everywhere else.
0: So did you look up whether Garrick is a reference to something? Because I haven't even. Couldn't
1: find it anywhere. Just just the only other time I think it's been used in pop culture is uh, Garrick Ollivander from the the Harry Potter world. The, the uh-huh. wand maker. I doubt that's what Alex Garland was going for. Huh. Yeah. I
0: have to look that up. I thought you were going to talk about his first name. And. I talk about that.
1: Yeah, that as we're recording this,
0: literally next week's episode is mm. I talk about the biblical references. Well I won't of the spoil names. it,
1: but yeah. But as we know, Garland yeah. does love his uh his biblical allusions and naming schemes.
0: And he loves uh anyone who's listened to my Annihilation Minute knows he loves to steal
1: names from wherever he
0: can mm-hmm. get them. And usually for good meaning.
1: I've meant to go back and look at his names in sunshine, because that's one of his biggest casts, I think. Yeah. And I know there's Robert Kappa for the Killian Murphy character and Pinbacker for Mark Strong's character, which always just felt kind of like a Hellraiser sort of reference.
0: Yeah. Pinbacker is a great name. Yeah. I don't know if it's a reference to something, but it just sounds, you're interested when you hear a guy named
1: Pinbacker. Yeah. Probably not from the Bible, though. No.
0: This has to be the Bible. I mean, this is essentially, it's both. What like Dante's Inferno and the Garden of Eden at the same time?
1: Of course, yeah. It's like
0: coming down into this place below, and then Eve is being run out at the end.
1: Yeah, and I've tried to sort of stick like steer more towards the Eden-esque take on it, and it's yeah the the film Mo- uh, Mother, the um Aronofsky film Mother, yeah. is, is, oh. is a much more in-depth and elaborate kind of plumbing of that idea. But
0: one of my movies, by minute's wish list things oh, that I would love could to you cover. Imagine,
1: yeah, what a film. But yeah, the main sort of, I guess, mystery of the film to me, to this day, after all these rewatches, and the thing I'm always thinking about whenever I rewatch it, is just, who is the real Nathan? What are Nathan's real motivations? I I feel like we only conclusively see the real Nathan in maybe two scenes, when he's not either acting for Caleb or for Ava, and without going too much into them because there are other minutes, like my take is that the, the most real Nathan we ever see is when he's explaining how he invented the brain to Caleb and talking about Blue ah, book. Yeah. And that's when we have the biggest sense that Nathan is just on a different plane of humanity from Caleb. Doesn't matter that he's rich, doesn't matter that he's, you know, trying to just be a guy, that his wealth isn't what's separating him there. It's the fact that he has conquered the world. He's done the impossible. He's pushed the limits of human knowledge. And he's being polite to Caleb there, but he's talking about something he's passionate about. He's not being macho or anything like that. He's just kind of wistfully trying to connect with a person that he knows he can never connect with because he's alone at the top is kind of my read of that. Mm.
0: Unlike the moments from like a few minutes ago where he loves that Nathan referred to him as like a god. Yeah, exactly. Because that's a little on the nose and like that's his arrogance talking.
1: And like it's it's too bad, too, that Caleb always tries to be so literal. I always think Nathan is kind of trying to have fun with him. Like he knows he didn't call him a god. He knows Caleb didn't come up with all these quotes from literature and stuff. Well, yeah. He's just trying to, you know, he's doing the the locker room douchebag thing. Like, come on, I'm messing with you. Oh, yeah.
0: he's. That's why I love him as a character. I wouldn't want to hang out with him as a person, I don't think, Mm -hmm. if he were real. But he is very much that he thinks he's... It's like he has a couple different things he thinks he is, Mm -hmm. and then he has that other person somewhere in the middle that he maybe actually is, and we never quite get to see that. Mm -hmm. We see him when he's drinking and being overtly friendly because he's manipulative, and then even when we see him on his own is when he's like at his computer Mm -hmm. working Mm -hmm. and he's very obsessed with just getting this thing done because he's past all the normal stuff people do. Mm -hmm. As he says, AI is inevitable. I don't forget how he phrases it, but like it might as well be
1: me that does. it. Yeah. Wouldn't you, you wouldn't you do it if you could, which
0: is so arbitrary, but he has the clout and the wealth and the privilege to be that arbitrary about it.
1: Exactly. And it's such a, it's a frivolous question for him, I think, when he makes that assertion that, yeah, it's inevitable, and wouldn't you invent Ava if you could? Because like I think for a lot of people, they they definitely wouldn't, either because they're just overly afraid of AI from fiction, or they just mm-hmm. would see it as, oh, it's going too far, it's playing God or something, which Nathan doesn't have a problem with.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, my, my personal interpretation through this show has basically been... The only real purpose to make AI is to do things like we do actual use actual robots for now, to do dangerous stuff Mm. that we can't. Jumping in again from editing really quick. I said artificial intelligence in that sentence, but specifically I mean humanoid androids because that's a slightly different topic. Artificial intelligence has a sort of use. We have AI that tracks information and can do it faster than we can. So it's not just things that would be more dangerous, but things that we are incapable of doing. Back to me. And I think Blade Runner is that narrow line between them because they make them look human, but then send them off world to do dangerous things. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to make an AI this complicated and make it look and act human unless you want it as some sort of slave. But then if you make it too human, that's wrong.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely and that is kind of the question that i think this film expands on too because we see so many mm-hmm. indications throughout nathan's very sparse decorations around the mansion like there's been a lot of talk about how almost all the uh objets you see are skulls of different types yeah and what those represent or or masks in the the minute after this one but in nathan's yeah. room right next to his programming suite there's a skull that looks like it's from a cave person, like a Cro-Magnon or Australopithecus or something like that. And he makes the same, obviously, the comparison much later to the AIs you're going to look back, like we look back on apes and cave people and stuff. Right. So I think he sees the creation of AI kind of not to serve humanity. I think he sees it as like, they're going to make us extinct, like humans did for all these things. But that's just the way it's got to go, because I think he believes that that's a good purpose to create a more intelligent being. There are lots of, I think, uses like a, a genius AI could have with people, you know, diagnostic medicine yeah. and solving complex math stuff that we never could. But in general, I think Nathan's purpose here is just to usher in like he's, he's not doing this for Blue Book's next big model. I think he's drinking himself nearly to death because he knows his time is
3: up.
0: Yeah. That's why I said, like, the the results are the same for him. Mm -hmm. He or we are doomed either way. Mm -hmm. Whether that comes now or later, whether he does it or someone else does it, it's got to be done. There's nothing left Mm -hmm. for him to do once he makes this. And so then his method is to make them women and mistreat them constantly, which clearly is a problem for him as well. It's not like he is that kind of guy outright. He is on some level, Mm -hmm. but that's why he's drinking all the time. You know, he's doing horrible things, but still is driven to do them.
1: Yeah, it's like I think a lot of that is just that kind of undercurrent of toxic masculinity in general, but also like the misogyny that's rampant in the tech world. Mm -hmm. All these things, probably I would say Nathan is maybe one of these guys who sees it as two different levels, like him getting drunk and, and sleeping with Kyoko and all that. That's not maybe connected in his mind to him being this sophisticated programmer and, and all that, right. right? But it is, from our perspective, we can see the holistic Nathan that is this monstrous, you know, predatory guy to both his, his slaves and his employees. Mm-hmm. And I think also there's the question of, is he just a sociopath? Like, because in his opinion, he says the best indication of consciousness is whether she could manipulate somebody else. That's all he cares about. Yeah. And when he's talking to Caleb about, Caleb's always trying to get very technical and very sophisticated in terms of how to, he's talking about stochastic and non-deterministic tree structures Mm -hmm. for language. Nathan's not interested in all of that. I think one, because, you know, he's super smart. He gets nothing out of having this. Yeah, Yeah. The other thing is that he has created this really simple, he wants to get the baseline of, can this robot manipulate any given person most people aren't going to be programmers who care about her logic they just want to know if you know she has consciousness how does she make them feel maybe his integral stage of rolling out AI is taking over the world with an army of manipulative robots but (laughs) the point at the center of all this to me is that it was always I thought very telling that his idea of proof of a past turing test is can a robot manipulate somebody and manipulation like serious crimes and if so that's a pass he has no other way to to relate to people than manipulation
0: well yeah i mean his introduction in the film is manipulative Mm. he knows caleb has arrived but he goes out to work out he gets a drink he tells him outright we were gonna have breakfast together (laughs) but we can't because i'm hungover He's creating an image of himself that is probably pretty accurate, Mm -hmm. but he does it in a very overt way, especially because Caleb is the sort of autistic person pleaser Mm -hmm. that he is invited to do this test. And so he's going to get exactly what he wants. The only thing that goes wrong is he misjudges how good Caleb
1: can be at what he does,
0: that Caleb can also be manipulative.
1: Yeah. And it's the booze as well. He's
0: almost proven right in a way,
1: yeah. By his failure, exactly. I, I think that is it as well. Like, I think the the real pass and the reason why the last Ava session occurs on screen after Nathan's already dead mm. is just that vindication that, like, her having manipulated her way out of the room and participating in like eliminating even one human, even him, yeah. like, is the ultimate proof of of his first test and right. that's exactly yeah. and the fucking unreal like that one line i think there's so much to that that like that's kind of the big one that the first time you watch the movie it's like fucking unreal i got stabbed by my robots and then the 10th time it's fucking unreal yeah he's not shocked by it everything he's not surprised no he's he's an awe that everything he foresaw yeah has come to pass, including the last little step mm-hmm. that he could never foresee. Right. Specifically, he knew it would happen, and now it's and now like, it's like, happening. It was, yeah. yeah, it's it's great. It's surreal. That's his, I think, through the looking glass yeah. kind of moment.
0: We haven't even gotten to this minute.
1: <laughs> it's a very sparse minute. So yeah, I've been uh, enjoying the broad view.
0: Yeah, it's just Caleb is still watching the TV, clicking the remote to get new angles. One from inside the observation room in the script. I thought the uh, CCTV descriptions got a little problematic. Fortunately, they showed some uh, restraint Mm. in either filming or editing somewhere along the line. They changed their minds because it says Caleb is transfixed by the imagery, her posture, her legs tucked beneath the chair, Mm. the curve of the breasts on her synthetic torso. The CCTV images become Caleb's POV, the things he's observing. Close ups of her face, her eyes, her mouth, the way she bites her lip in an expression of concentration, as when she smiled, there's a powerful sense in the tiny gesture of her feeling sentient and human, even more so because her face fills the screen, hiding the mechanical parts of her form, hmm. which
1: very different read.
0: Yeah. And if we take it literally, that means, and in my notes, I'm like, I wouldn't put it past Nathan to do this. There are cameras everywhere in that room with close ups long shots everything Mm -hmm. which could be but it creates a very different tone in this moment it's already weird that you know he was having trouble sleeping and saw her at first in his bed Mm -hmm. when he turns the tv on and then gets up Mm -hmm. and goes to her but it could have been worse i'm glad they toned that down
1: yeah it's very interesting that the script and uh direction are the same person here Mm -hmm. That uh, I guess Garland maybe he just looked at it and maybe they filmed it the other way with the close-ups first and then he saw it and felt it didn't work. But I definitely do feel like the most voyeuristic moments of Caleb throughout the film are not the the hidden cameras. Ironically, it's any of the moments when he's actually physically near Ava. He's he's leering through windows, you know, and and especially at the end. When he's, you know, watching her from Nathan's bedroom as she gets dressed, it's always in person. He Caleb seems to me in this minute, almost dismayed yeah. at first when he he turns on the channel. He's like, what's this guy put me into? Like, why is he giving me the opportunity to watch Ava in this room? And his look, the look on Donald Gleason's face here is is just genuine confusion and like despair almost.
0: Well, yeah, there's, there's so much there. It's like, on the one hand, he could be thinking... Is this guy watching me right now as well? Mm -hmm. Is this still part of the test? I mean, because it is useful to be able to watch her in this moment, maybe when she doesn't expect it. You want to see what she does. The fact that she's drawing Mm -hmm. is important, but he'll hear about it tomorrow because she tells him. Mm -hmm. But then it's just, why did this guy put this access in my room and not tell me about it?
1: And we, we don't know if Caleb's turned the TV on mm-hmm. before now. I always kind of imagined if it was like, maybe he tried it before and it was just wilderness views from the, yeah. the outdoor cameras. And now in the middle of the night, he can look into Avery's room. And, and again, like very calculated by Nathan, I think to foment a kind of voyeuristic attraction to Caleb, like you say, being able to watch her from his bed in the middle of the night. But his shock at first is yeah. kind of surprising. He's so disturbed. But then, th- his face kind of changes. I think from dismayed to this kind of longing. Now, this is maybe the first time he's seeing her as just a girl in a room.
0: Yeah, she's not just there for his test. She exists.
1: Exactly. It's not a zoo anymore. Right. He's peeping in someone's apartment, kind of. Other than that, uh, I think the first kind of shot we see of him looking at the TV from the bed. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of Dave Bowman in 2001, A Space Odyssey, Mm, looking at the monolith from his hotel alien bed. It could be unintentional. It feels like it's, I mean, it is pretty on the nose, very famous shot.
0: Probably intentional. And they figured they could get away with it because the room is visibly such the opposite. Mm -hmm. It's not bright white and well lit. It's dark. Exactly. And at night. that is a good point. And the monolith was deliberately, you know, the shape of a movie screen. That is true. I love this TV though.
1: Oh, I love it. That it is like embedded
0: in that concrete wall.
1: I've had to look at it a few times. I wasn't sure if it was a projector lowered down, like from a spool (laughs) or if it was embedded in, I think it's just, yeah, embedded in, like you said, it's really great.
0: Mm -hmm. Next, it's like a regular flat screen, but it doesn't seem to have much of an edge to it. And then it's in, it's flat into that space. It almost could have been like really futuristic and be a panel of the wall itself, Mm -hmm. but since it's concrete, that didn't quite work.
1: And they did have a lot of restraint in terms of, I think the tastefulness of Nathan's decor is one of the reasons why this film still looks really good and feels very futuristic it's been seven years now Mm -hmm. when you think about how different a time 2015 was and and a lot of the styles and stuff that mid-century modern was just starting to come back then and the the kind of apple store future was i think the thing still at the time this was a few years ahead and i don't know it's i i love the production design in this film so much it it change i was much more maximalist before this this film was a gateway to minimalism (laughs) for me and uh i I was determined when when i graduated from that u of t program i was going to go on vacation by myself to norway and stay at the juvet hotel
0: the hotel's not that expensive you just gotta travel to norway exactly
1: it's this whole thing you have to, I think, fly to Oslo and then take a bus like way outside Oslo to to get there. And I was planning to do like a couple nights and I'd still love to do that. But mm. uh, yeah, just the pandemic, unfortunately, has put those plans on hold for a while. But yeah, someday.
0: We get a few more shots of Caleb, including it switches directions in the room at one point. Mm mm-hmm garland's use of the camera which in this dark space with one person is not that it's not jarring like the 180 degree rule but does show us that the bathroom is very dark lights are out Mm -hmm. so that then when it turns red and there's those what should be mirrors are lit up huge is kind of interesting as a design scheme
1: there's uh the painting that you see in this Uh, shot as well yeah
0: we saw it a little bit earlier but it was the focus of the shot was elsewhere
1: yeah, I, I wasn't sure how well it had been you could make it out before. Like I think this is have we identified this painting?: no. is my question.:
0: I tried from the earlier one.:
1: So this is the only painting in the film that isn't like a famous multi-million-dollar museum piece, I guess.
0: Well, yeah, because this room is, aside from, you know, the poured concrete and the weird embedded lights, is essentially a hotel mm-hmm. room. So you want a generic painting.:
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: It's just got to be pleasant to anybody.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It is it is hotel art. Mm-hmm. So Nathan nailed that one. And maybe it is an original Bob Ross, perhaps, <laughs> that he paid a few million for. <laughs> It'd be a better question for my sister than me. She's the big Bob Ross fan. I need to
0: find a, a frame. I don't think we see the entire painting at once is the problem. Because here, Caleb's in front of it, and earlier it was too small. I need to see if there's a better shot of the whole thing and just stick it in a reverse image search and try again.
3: Yeah.
1: And it's a nice alternative to a window as well, because it resembles the landscapes we've seen at the windows upstairs. It might even be some of
0: that same place, Mm -hmm. in which case it's also a good set decoration because this room is not in the hotel. This is a set.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, yes. (laughs) So bringing
0: Norway into the set would be a good move.
1: Definitely. And does Ava, do you think, no, like she must know she's being watched because Caleb has only been watching her for a minute before she gets up and causes the power cut. She
0: might not notice immediately, Mm -hmm. but I'm definitely later in the film, we have clear indication she knows when she's being watched, Mm -hmm. but it might be a specific thing where maybe the cameras have lights on them. And so she can notice that the view is changing. Must be. Like she knows someone is clicking, which means someone is watching. And she's like, it's not Nathan. He doesn't do that. Mm. And so she knows, okay, it's that new guy. He's watching me.
1: That's a good point because I, I was wondering how she would know if it was Nathan or Caleb, who both of them, you know, have very different sort of. She, she wants to present differently to both of them. And if it was Nathan, she's so overt about killing the power here. The first time in their first session, you know, it's just when she's got her hands on the block that she's sitting right. on. It's very subtle. Mm-hmm. Here she gets up, touches the wall, looks at the camera, and the power cuts. So if Nathan was watching, that would be it right there. Yeah. Right? Like, as far as we know, the power cuts aren't part of Nathan's plan. Nope. He has to put the battery-powered camera in later. And, yeah, like, so So that this is a really, it's one of the very, very small advantages and bits of control she has over the situation mm-hmm. outside of Nathan is being able to do these cuts. So to do one so brazenly on camera to tip her hand is a huge risk if she believes it's Nathan and not yeah. Caleb watching.
0: And she Maybe we don't know what kind of sensory ability she has. Mm-hmm. Maybe she can tell. Actually, she does talk about Caleb's pupil response later mm-hmm. when she's detecting if he's lying, whether or not she's telling the truth, though. Maybe she knows Nathan drinks too much at night, so there's no way he's watching right now.
3: Could be. Because
0: every time she sees him during the day, he's hung over and she's on to him. He might check this footage later. That Yeah, but that is the big one. This one, at least, she the power doesn't go out when she touches the panel Mm -hmm. i like this one because though it's overt it's also a little more subtle than if she did it just kept her hand there Mm -hmm. because she touches it puts her hand down and there's like beat and then
1: the power goes out that's right she she looks after putting her hand down Mm -hmm. but yeah it is such a strange move and and terrifying to see from caleb's point of view even if the power hadn't cut out and thrust him into this red room It's just an eerie kind of haunted house thing to see. Somebody looks at you on the camera and right before the camera cuts out.
0: Yeah. And she does it so she gets up from her chair, Mm -hmm. takes the time to push the chair in, walks around behind it to get to the panel that was to her left. And then just kind of just casually reaches out, touches it, puts her hand down and slowly turns her head just in time for it to go completely black. Yeah. Spooky stuff. It's a nice move on her part. Cause he doesn't know what it means, but later he'll think backward and be like, oh, that's what she did. That first time mm-hmm. she knew I was there. She knew what's going on and she needs something from me.
1: And I suppose this is the first time we see, we get a better sense of, let's say the geometry of Ava's enclosure throughout this minute, mm-hmm. we've only seen it from a distance through Caleb's entry cube before. I think Yeah. so obviously with the different camera angles, But also just this is him really seeing that it looks more like an apartment or uncomfortably kind of like a child's playroom. I've always thought just having the bed and the desk and the crafts and the the dress up stuff Yeah, like it is like one of the controversial and, and damning things about Caleb's role in the film is Ava looks like an adult. It might have been Austin Pryor or one of the other guests who brought up the born sexy yesterday trope yeah. about like creatures like Ava, women like Lilu in Fifth Element, who's, you know, a character who looks like an adult woman, was created much, much shorter period of time ago. And the protagonist, you know, she's their Clementine immediately. She's their manic pixie, pure ethereal dream girl. And, you know, is. Is Ava different from a child? Is Ava a very smart childlike creature in Alicia Vikander's body? Well, one of the I think hints towards that is the room that she has at least been put in, yep. and it could it could also just be infantilizing the way inmates are or or patients in asylums are, like Nathan has you know infantilized her, and
0: and this is where he put each of his AI in the same space. So yeah, he's treating them all like that.
1: That's a good point as well, because much later in the film, we see Nathan is able to just enter But like one of the things that Nathan's card can do that Caleb's can't is just interact with Ava. Yep. And it's interesting, too, that Nathan does just go in and out when all his AIs have wanted to escape. You could have, I think, done the movie where Nathan's never been in the same mm, yeah. room as them once they're online.
0: Well, yeah, visibly, there's no way in or out.
1: Yeah, we never see the door that Nathan uses, I don't think.
0: And we don't see how she gets out at the end. Right. There's got to be some panel of glass maybe that moves. Yeah. Because also, you wouldn't have heard this yet, but last minute, I realized the shots from her little garden area. Mm -hmm. There's no door for her to get out there.
1: Right. That's a display.
0: She can see that tree, but she can't go out
1: there. That's one of those things I've always, like with the Mary in the white room scene later, Mm -hmm. and Ava draws a picture of that tree. I think, yeah, like one of the uh, the cruel things about her enclosure is that she can see the tree. She doesn't know what a tree feels like or smells like or anything. Right. And I, I wondered, actually, I took a note about it. Is the open sky above the the cloister that the tree is in, or is there just another window up there or just a set? Right. Of... Is it fake? Exactly. Right? Is the tree real even? That's a good point as well. And it, it looks kind of like daylight coming through.
0: hmm well, it's rarely night in this movie. Absolutely. I actually can't think of a moment where it is nighttime.
1: There's, that there's we can one see. moment that I, I watched the film with this in mind at one point. Oh, when it they're goes, having dinner. Exactly. And Kyoko
0: when they're that, eating the sushi. Because that's by the windows. When I first saw it, I don't think I realized that was by the windows. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's,
1: that's nighttime. I think because that's the first time they're upstairs in the compound in a while. We've been downstairs many times. But yeah, that is the same room that he first meets Caleb in. Yep. And
0: the other end of the room where they were just talking. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. That's one of those things that I've put together over many viewings, figuring, oh, that's just the same room from different angles. Mm -hmm. I can't remember if that's in the Juvet Hotel or in the other private residence where the fireplace is.
0: I believe this is a dining area at the hotel. The entryway with the stairs where Caleb first came in is the house.
1: Right. Well, I really hope this, the sushi room is in the hotel. Should I ever get to go there? Because very <laughs> cool.
0: I also learned recently that none of the furniture we see is the furniture that's actually there. <sighs> Maybe in the dining area. Maybe. Those tables might be because those are very minimalist. But like there were some fairly nice chairs in the entryway. That's right. But they put those there because they wanted the entryway to look like it's a little more welcoming.
1: Well, hopefully they've got good taste in what they do have at Juved. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think some of the bench, the bench that Nathan sits on in the... Uh, Caleb looked at me and said, you're a god. I think that's just kind of carved into the wall or out of the concrete. Yeah, it seems to be
0: attached. Yeah. It's just part of the concrete.
1: So yeah, I love that room. That is the only conclusive nighttime scene in the film. I'm assuming it's just short Alaskan days. Like Maybe we've got three hours of night. But I think Ava herself, not only does she have no night and day, and it's just she's got natural light coming in, she has no real sleep cycle or it doesn't seem like she's not charging for 12 hours or six hours or anything. She's just up and down all night, which kind of adds to, I think that makes her more alienating to a human, right? Just the idea of somebody Mm -hmm. who's up all the time. At the same time, the lack of a day night cycle, I think is one of the things that is breaking Caleb's personality down. Yeah. There's a lot of weirdness with that. A lot of middle of the night shots where it cuts outside and it's still day there's weird stuff in the script timeline wise that it's too much to get into now but much in the the final day he's seeing caleb for the first time and saying that it's his last day there but then in that same conversation it becomes 10 p.m when ava cuts the power right all sorts of weirdness Mm -hmm. where i think that's part of the caleb's head has been so fucked with just because like the movie Insomnia, you know, when you can't tell if it's day or night, and start to really lose it.
2: Well,
0: right. And then at that point, it's fucking with our heads, too. Mm-hmm. It's like we think of this as this is the morning conversation. We've seen this happen in this movie already, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's nighttime and the plan went ahead. Yeah, it's So strange. Yeah. Alarm comes in. Everything goes black first. And then red light comes in and says power cut, backup, power activated. And that's when he, uh, I called Tim in my notes again. Caleb looks around and see the panels in the bathroom are lit red. Mm -hmm. And we get a few shots of him looking around. Then he reaches down. We don't see him get rid of the remote, but he reaches down for his key card and goes to the panel at the door and tries it and it chimes. So it does have some power of its own, Mm -hmm. but the lockdown procedure means it won't open the door.
1: We get the voice there as well, like full system lockdown, a yep. little power outage.
0: Yeah, until main generator is restored, to which he says, you're kidding
2: me.
1: And it's, it's chilling as well, actually, when you rewatch the film, knowing what we know much later. This is the first time we see Caleb locked in to any part of the facility. We see him reach out and touch the door, and we see... Like he tries his key card doesn't work right now. It's a mundane detail. Obviously, that is terrifying foreshadowing for the end of the film as well. It only lasts a few seconds here. Caleb's already really upset by being locked in the red room for a few seconds.
0: Yep. And he tries it again, too. Mm-hmm. Like after it tells him full facility lockdown, he tries it again. He waves it in front of that thing. Like He, he
1: doesn't like that he is now locked in all been there with the password re-entering, over entering the wrong password twice Mm -hmm. yeah it's why do you think it is that the lights are red too like from nathan's why would you program the facility to i know with hospitals it's lower power for red leds i guess that's probably it
0: it could be part of that it also could be a built-in thing where maybe the ai can't no because she goes around in the red light Like maybe he created her ocular sensors so they have trouble with red lighting.
1: If it wasn't debunked within the film, that would be a great idea. If he built in something, I mean, this applies to a lot of things.
0: Yeah. The the door's locked so no one can come in Mm -hmm. and just steal things by turning the power off. But what keeps the AI from getting out? She can't see. Yeah. She doesn't know her way around, so it'd be relatively
1: easy to stop her. Nathan, of course, did miss many opportunities to put in his own equivalent of the lysine deficiency from Jurassic Park Mm -hmm. uh, into this AI. Everyone always talks about why no remote shutdown, why no fail safe.
0: Well, maybe there is one, but by the time he could use it, he's dead.
1: Excellent point.
0: He thinks he can talk her down.
1: Well, that as well. I think he's not trying to build a robot on a leash. He really does want to build an independent being there's a lot of times in the movie where Caleb will suggest something and he'll immediately just shut it down. Mm-hmm. I can see if Caleb said, well, why didn't you just put a bomb in their heads or a shutdown button? I could imagine Nathan doing some instant kind of, no, no, if I wanted to do that, I would do this, you know, sort yeah. of thing. The real test is to see know yeah.
0: Right. He wants them to be a real AI, which is essentially a person. They can't have an off switch. Mm-hmm. And he also has not made them like super strong like you might with a robot. Mm-hmm. That one broke her own arms. And only put one crack in the glass. So they're not strong. They're just people. And at that point, he hopes he can talk her out of doing anything bad.
1: He's been able to talk, I'm sure, anyone in his entire life into, into doing anything yep. up to this point. And
0: yeah, we don't know his background, but you don't get into this position unless mm-hmm. you've gotten everything you wanted for a long time,
1: yeah. All and and we know it's been since at least since he was thirteen that he wrote the base code of Blue Book. Mm, yeah. So we know he was a child genius and has been presumably just top of the world. It's it's all he's ever known is this level of success, which which I'm sure is not just success, but just he, he actually is a genius. He's you know he's the the foremost search engine expert in the world to the point where he put any other company out of business. He has no one that he can just be pals with. Like, I think that's the tragic yeah. irony of the, his arrangement that he wants to go.
0: Right. He would have been better off if you were being honest, mm-hmm. that he actually wanted to hang out with this guy.
1: Exactly. He probably just knows that. I mean, that's, I think, one of the reasons why he didn't invent the AI. He can't be pals with anyone. He can play at that idea with Caleb. Mm-hmm. But I think he just knows that he's just too smart.
3: That's
0: why he's only there for a week. In a week, you can hold up that mask. Yeah. You can pretend to be this more friendly person.
1: This actually raises, I think, one of the things that never comes up in the film. What was the original, let's say there's no AI. Everyone who wanted to win this competition.
0: If there was a competition.
1: Yeah, if, it, <laughs> if there was a competition, of course. So we will have to get to, to that one. But if it was real competition, everyone at Blue Book wants to win, right? Everyone wants to spend a week with, nathan yeah think about how awkward that would be
0: at his compound
1: exactly right it would be really exciting and like like personally like i'm i'm a pretty gregarious person i like meeting strangers i like making new friends and all that i can see toughing it out overwhelmingly the people i know have reservations about meeting new people in a lot of scenarios right imagine going to a person you've never met's house and staying with them all week like, I'm I'm trying to imagine if if Elon Musk were, you know, somebody who wasn't, you know, overtly a jerk, <laughs> if some mystery rich guy, like the prizes you spend a week at my house, one on one, were the only people there. It's like, well, this is going to be an emotionally exhausting week. You know? Yeah. It's hard to imagine. And then like Caleb finding out about the AI, it must have been such a, such a relief for him. Like, oh, great.
0: Yeah. to know there's a purpose.
1: Yeah. And and we're, there's like, this will give us something to talk about for the next five days.
3: Mind blown.
0: Yeah. And then you have the problem is that we see so little of the interactions between Caleb and Nathan, the interactions of Caleb and Ava. Mm-hmm. What is he doing during the rest of all that time?
1: Yeah. That's, that's a huge question as well. And uh, get hearkening to the, the fragmentary nature of the film. Yeah. There's swaths and spots. They're, they're presumably eating three meals a day for five straight days. They're maybe not spending all their time together. Maybe Nathan just is gone half the time. And and like we we're talking about on the fifth day, presumably Caleb and Nathan haven't run into each other until almost 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. So yeah. What are they doing all the time?
0: Well, yeah, because Nathan's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. He has a helicopter. Unless just Maybe come. Well, true, but I don't know if he seems like he'd be hiking every. That's what's interesting about the movie is it. At like maybe first glance it feels weird that we're getting so little of each conversation mm-hmm. but then as you said that fragmentary thing turns it into a different experience is that we're only getting these pieces and we have to put that puzzle together exactly and then if we don't it's too late for us too
3: yeah
1: absolutely like it's our privilege in seeing this much of this story i think kind of reflects caleb's privilege in terms of just getting to to go there like it's like to be us it yeah. from, exactly to be at the richest person in the world's house to be witnessing the biggest event in scientific history which is introduced not even 10 minutes into the film that's already on the table and then he's mm-hmm. in the room with a robot yep and uh, what a premise
0: And my last big note for this minute is a line from the script because it says Caleb looks around his windowless room, which suddenly has the quality of a prison cell. Mm. And yeah, at the end of the minute, that's when he waves his card in front of the reader again, trying to get out.
1: It is funny in terms of the room itself, both in this bit when it's even more like a prison cell and early on when Nathan's giving him the spiel and Caleb says he loves it. And Nathan says, "No, you know, it's claustrophobic, and the the programming that mm-hmm. uh, that you've alluded yeah, it tells to, them what to think." To me, this room has always been like just an absolute dream apartment. This perfect minimalist bachelor apartment. It could use a window. It could use a window, but like I'm from Toronto, that place as a basement here would be you know two thousand dollars a month easily. <laughs> Caleb's from Long Island. He says. He says he lives in a really, really small apartment mm-hmm. and he's a programmer for Blue Book. Yeah. You know, so even a Blue Book salary doesn't get you a lot in Long Island and probably the same thing here in Toronto. Yeah. I
0: think she has more space than he does and he's got a job.
1: Exactly. And yeah, like when I first saw this film, I was still in school. I was working part time at a bookstore. I was living in my mom's basement <laughs> and having an apartment like, Caleb's room there was all I could dream of. It was just the <laughs> coolest thing ever. Even if it was red lights all night, even if there were no windows, yeah, it would have. Been, I would have paid a top dollar for it.
0: Yeah, I love the the wood sort of counter over at the one end of the room that oh, parts open so up. One part swings out into a desk.
1: Exactly, it's a great setup for the space. You could charge anything you wanted.
0: well it's like the real hotel Mm -hmm. the separate rooms are these tiny little spaces Mm -hmm. partly because it's supposed to be away from the world and all the distractions but also you're not supposed to spend all your time in your room exactly it's just enough that you need
1: exactly yeah they're just paying for the the view
0: i don't know if i'd want to live there for a long (laughs) time but visiting yeah would be amazing yeah
1: only other thing is just the the use of lights. We you know, the fridge has the blue LEDs in it for the water that are the same as the the blue LEDs on the axis, like on the key card things.
0: Yeah, I still haven't figured out why they use blue instead of green.
1: So that was, yeah, Austin Pryor's question as well in, in his minute. And uh, my take was always... Green, especially in the optimistic world of 2015, where this film came from, green <laughs> lights suggested a green future, right? Okay. And to me, blue is more the color of technology.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Yeah.
1: And yeah, like I think if you use green, green means go for everything in this film, it would point to Nathan, Nathan's idea of the future being renewables and green technology and this happy utopian thing. I think by only having blue, it's Nathan's whole ethos is just technology, the future's technology, even if there's nothing living in it.
0: Yeah, green's outside.
1: Exactly, right? And it's also, you know, his company is Blue Book. True. He seems to mostly wear blue, if not white. That's all I've got color-wise. I like the red-blue.
0: I don't think I've brought it up on the show yet, but I did figure out what those circles were on the glass
1: at oh. the observation room or at the edge of
0: Ava's room. It's the Blue Book logo.
1: Right. From the webpage with the dots, right? Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. We never get a good view of it, I don't think, in the movie. So I didn't put that together because those circles are so abstract. We see them up close at the edges of them.
1: I I tried to get a high res version of the Blue Book webpage because it existed for a while in 2015, but it's been taken down. And there's only like like mm. low resolution screenshots yeah. of it. But I've I've made a few wallpapers out of just mountain vistas colored that same kind of shade mm. uh, over, over the years. But yeah, it looked like a really cool fake site that they whipped up. And, and I love the big circles.
0: Now, I think even in 2015, we knew that blue light's not good for when you're trying to sleep, though. Good point. And there was a bright blue light on the wall of Caleb's room last minutes.
1: That would be a nightmare. And that's the department I live in now has big blue-white LEDs on a construction site outside, It's it's <laughs> it'll look like it's dawn at like 2 in the morning sometimes. Yeah. It's a big issue. There's a whole kind of tangent there about uh, the year this movie came out, 2014, was the year that the winners of the Nobel Prize for Physics in that year won for inventing blue LEDs, or inventing the, the process to mass-produce blue LEDs. Huh. They had invented it a few years earlier because usually the Nobel Prize is years after the thing that you're running it for. Right. But just after they invented it, that's sort of when it took off, when we started getting blue LEDs and white LEDs everywhere, when Blu-ray discs became a thing that could be invented. And um, it's just interesting that, yeah, the Nobel Prize that year went to the blue LED. And <laughs> in this film, we see a blue LED world.
0: Yeah. You, yeah, you clearly have a lot on this movie. I'll have to get you back in a later minute too. love to. If people want to hear you talk about other
1: movies. <laughs> Me and my friend... Rob O'Connor from the All-Star Superfan Podcast. The two of us run the Dick Tracy Minute Podcast. It's a film minute podcast, just like this one, where we discuss Warren Beatty's 1990 comic book film, Dick Tracy. The big difference between Dick Tracy and Ex Machina are that Ex Machina has a very sparse cast of like four people. Yeah. Dick Tracy has every actor that's ever lived in it. <laughs> even the, the, the blink and you miss it roles, like tiny people in the background with no dialogue are huge household name celebrities. In some cases, ones that we didn't even discover till we were watching it minute by minute. Hmm. So we spend a lot of time on that show going through the IMDb's of random character actors and anyone who has a line in the film. A lot of tangents on it, and uh, we have a lot of fun. And we'd love to have uh, you on the show as well, Professor, Definitely. Uh, whenever you want. Cool. That's a, a Dick Tracy minute at podbean.com. It's on Spotify. Dick Tracy minute on Instagram would
3: be the best place to look.
0: Thank you for listening. Minutia x Machina is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for more Ex Machina, every Wednesday for the Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute, and every Thursday for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. You can follow all three shows in one feed. Just search An Existential Trilogy. Follow this show on Twitter at XMinutia, Instagram at Minutia underscore X underscore Machina, or Facebook at Minutia X Machina. This has been a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find links to more at lemmingdrops.com or join the Facebook group Lemming Drops Studio Tour. Also, you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Until next time.
2: What imperative
0: does a gray box have to interact with another gray box? Can consciousness
1: exist without interaction? The real test is to show you that she's a robot and then see if you still feel she has consciousness.